Okay, good luck. We are now about to do letter 17, meaning the first part of letter 17 was the Tanya portion of Shabbos, and the second half is the Tanya portion of Sunday. So now we are doing Shabbos's portion and Sunday's, the entire letter. The letter begins by saying that we know that when we pull out of our hearts kindness and compassion for those who need compassion, this causes a response from God that God's source of compassion pulls down to this person a tremendous compassion, a compassion that transcends all limitations. This, on one hand, blesses us now. We call this the fruits of the deed. We receive now. Now doesn't only mean literally now, and fruits of the deed doesn't only mean literally physical blessing. But we refer to the fruits as a physical blessing, and also the spiritual delights of Gan Eden, of the Garden of Eden. Because even the Garden of Eden we mean now, as versus the ultimate world to come with the revival of the dead when the principle of our good deed, of our loving kindness and compassion will be revealed and we will benefit from it. On one hand, we might think of Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, as the world to come because it is the world that comes after this world and it is the world of reward for the good deeds of this world. But when we compare it to the real world to come, the world of the resurrection of the dead, then all worlds, even spiritual worlds, even the Garden of Eden, is all part of this world reality. Because all worlds, even the spiritual world, even the Garden of Eden, can only aspire to a revealed level of comprehension of godliness, as we'll discuss at length in this letter. But to really perceive God, that's what we're going to have in the ultimate world to come, a perception of God that transcends all levels of comprehension. So when I say that if I do an act of kindness, of love, of compassion now, the fruits I'm going to benefit from now, the fruits means this flow of benevolence, which is going to come all the way down until it invests itself in our physical world, in children, in life, in livelihood. Just think of it as fruits. Fruits aren't the essence of the tree. Fruits are plucked, and then other fruits grow in their place. So this flow of benevolence is flowing down from world to world. It's like these plucked fruits. It's not the tree. It's not the essence. That's what we're going to get in that ultimate world to come, the resurrection of the dead. But I'm eating the fruits now. Now, what the ultimate point, the Rebbe relates to a verse, your commandment is very wide. And the Rebbe raises two questions on this verse. One is, why am I saying commandment in the singular? God gave us over 600 commandments. And what does it mean, wide? Maybe your commandment is very great, very immense, very lofty. Why do you say wide? So we're going to right now answer the first question, what commandment is in the singular? And the wideness issue, we're going to answer at the end of this letter. 
So when I say your commandment in the singular, it's because there's one commandment which is God's commandment, meaning what God himself does. Now, of course, God does all the commandments. But this is like God's forte, so to speak, God's commandment, which is the commandment of charity. Because God is constantly doing charity. He's animating all of creation. He's animating now. He's animating in the future. He is constantly vivifying every single thing in all of creation with free kindness. God's always doing charity. Now, ultimately, at the time of the resurrection of the dead, this will be expressed even more, as we will explain. What we're going to get then far blows away anything now, even now what's in the Garden of Eden. How can I prove to you that what we will receive in the time of the resurrection of dead is greater than anything in any Garden of Eden? There are a few Garden of Edens. Lower Garden of Eden, higher Garden of Eden. Their souls higher than the Garden of Eden. But the resurrection of the dead is going to be beyond all that? Because we know that the time of the resurrection, the souls of all Tzadikim, all saints, everyone going back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, Aaron, they're all going to come back down to this physical world. All of those souls of the prophets and the, all the great sages, they're all going to come back down. They're all going to be engarbed again in a body to receive what God is giving by the resurrection of the dead. So that means it's better than their current reality. Because otherwise, it would stay where they are. And this enormous revelation that God is giving us at the time of the resurrection is charity. You can say, well, I thought we'd do something to create it. But not really. What we're doing in no way can draw down such an intense revelation of God himself. Everything I do... All the good I do in this world, all the Torah I learn, all the commandments I do is a vessel to enable me to receive what God's giving. But in no way could our actions create such energy. Our actions aren't great enough to create this energy. So why is it coming? It's charity. It's God's ultimate essence charity to creation. So now the Rebbe is going to explain why the godliness of the resurrection is completely beyond anything, including the godliness currently experienced in the Garden of Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, what are they getting? What are those souls that have passed away and are disembodied from the body and are enjoying reward? What are they getting? They're getting a level of godliness we call mimale kolalmin, which means a godliness that permeates the world, meaning a godliness muted enough, constricted enough, that it could be according to the receptive capacity of the creation. That every single soul, based on primarily the Torah they learned in this world, has the ability to absorb a certain amount of godliness. And that's the godliness that soul receives. So obviously this godliness is very constricted because it has to be constricted according to each soul's capacity. As we say, the Garden of Eden is created by the letter Yud. The letter Yud is a very small, constricted letter, a single point. And so, too, the energies have to be very small and constricted. These are the energies of God's first divine attribute from the ten attributes, the attribute we call Chachma, the source of all wisdom. And this is the attribute that is shining in the higher Garden of Eden. 
is really shining higher than the Garden of Eden. It's actually in Eden. Because Eden, Eden is the source of this energy from which comes, from which flows the gardens of Eden. The higher Garden of Eden, the lower Garden of Eden, they're all flowing from Eden, from Eden. And that is where this Chachma, this first of the ten divine attributes, is shining. And then it descends and vests itself in all the worlds to continuously create and animate them. So when that life force that animates from Chachma, from the source of wisdom, is concealed from all the other worlds, it still manifests in the Garden of Eden. So the souls are able to apprehend this divinity. Meaning, in our world also, we are receiving from the Chachma, from the source of wisdom. That's what's animating our world. But we can't get it. It's too cloaked and concealed for us to absorb it. But in the Garden of Eden, that's close enough to Eden, to the revelation of this Chachma, source of wisdom, first divine attribute, so the souls in the Garden of Eden can get it. So that's why it's reward. They're absorbing godliness. They're comprehending godliness. That feels really, really, really good. That is the pleasure of the garden. To apprehend the secrets of Torah, the Torah that you learned in this world and just learned on a superficial way. Superficial might mean very deep, but superficial meaning still engarbed in physicality, human concepts for a human mind. And now in the Garden of Eden, you get really what's the divinity of all of these ideas. And that's the enormous pleasure of the souls in the Garden of Eden. That apprehension of the Chachma, of the source of wisdom that's shining there and able to be apprehended by you. At the time of the resurrection, we're going to get a different light. Because this light, we said, is constricted, mimale, within the parameters of creation. There's a higher light called soivev which means beyond constriction. Seemingly, it means encompassing. That would be the most literal translation. But we don't mean this in a spatial way. It's not in a spatial way that this light is literally encompassing and surrounding and external to creation. But meaning it's not invested, it's not adapted within the limitations of, constri- of creation. The previous light, Mimale, the invested light, contracted itself to match the receptive capacity of creation. This light, the encompassing Sovey's light, doesn't constrict itself to get within your limitation. It affects from within, but it remains beyond. That all was the tiny portion of Shabbos, continuing Sunday's portion. It says, our sages say that in the Garden of Eden, the righteous are sitting with crowns on their heads, delighted in the radiance of God's presence. Meaning this transcendent light, this is a crown. A crown is something that encompasses. A crown is something that encircles. So this light, this crown, this light, is what's, in a sense, transcendent of us, but still connected to us enough for us to have understanding from it. Now, where is this light coming from? What is the divine attribute that's shining here? 
We said before that in the Garden of Eden, the shining light is the light of Chachma, the first of the ten attributes, the source of wisdom. But there's actually something even higher than Chachma, the source of wisdom, and that's called Keser, the crown. As we've just said, says that in the Garden of Eden, the righteous are sitting with the crowns on their head. So this crown motif here means the crown of this energy of Kesser, the divine crown. Kesser, the crown, is like the intermediary which joins the radiation, the revelation of God as the emanator, the source of all light, to all emanations, to all creations. So there is the infinity of God, the source of it all. And then there's creation, what's created by the source. And in between is Kester, is the crown, the bridge between God and creation. In other words, God is infinite. Creation, even the highest creation of the highest world, has a certain limitation. It's finite. It's within a world. That means there's a finite dimension to it. So we need an intermediary to bridge infinite and finite. This intermediary is the attribute of crown, of Kesser. How could it bridge? Because it has a bit of both. In its inner dimension, it's like the emanator. It's like God himself. In its external dimension, it relates to creation. So through the attribute of crown, of Kesser, the infinite light of God is drawn into creation, the highest level of the highest world, the world of Atsilus, to give life to all beings of Atsilu. Now, in the future, by the ultimate resurrection, this light of the crown of Kesser, this light that transcends limitations, will be revealed for all the righteous. And all of us are righteous. So for the entire Jewish people, this transcendent divine light will be revealed. Meaning now, this illumination is received only by beings in the highest world of Atzilus. In the time of the resurrection, it will radiate in our physical world as well. Meaning, by the Garden of Eden, the revelation is dependent on the level and the comprehension of each individual recipient. But, by the resurrection of the dead, the light that's shining is going to radiate for each one of us equally. It's not undergoing any contractions. It's not making itself smaller. And every one of us will receive it. Of course, according to our capacity to absorb it, that will be different. But every one of us will receive it. Which is why it says that we will literally see the essence of God by the time of the resurrection which also relates to what our sages say, that in the future the righteous will be called holy. Meaning now, the term holy, kadosh, is how we describe God. What does holy mean? Holy means ultimately separate, ultimately beyond apprehension, beyond knowledge, transcending anything. Now God transcends the wisdom of the Garden of Eden. Right? Wisdom is the highest is the highest attribute. Chachma is really the source of wisdom. But even that is not what we have. 
in the Garden of Eden because we're saying that there's even higher, which is the crown, which completely transcends any wisdom at all. So how can we get that? By the resurrection, we can get it. When then the soul comes back, each soul invested in this pure, clear body, our souls, in our bodies, and our bodies, will absorb God's infinite light. So this could seem very strange. Because we're saying that in the Garden of Eden, when the souls are not encumbered by a body, they cannot absorb the infinite light of crown, of Kester. And yet, in the world to come, by the resurrection, when all these souls are put back in bodies, then souls in bodies will absorb the infinite light as expressed in the crown and Kester? Like, if anything, it should be souls without bodies. Why would, in the end of day, souls and bodies absorb something that in the Garden of Eden, disencumbered from body, souls can't absorb? Sort of explains that there's a concept that the beginning is wedged in the end. Meaning the beginning is the loftiest initial level, and the loftiest initial level is what's ultimately manifest in the end. But the beginning is this level of divinity that transcends any involvement in creation. And this level of divinity is expressed in the attribute of Kester, of crown. And this beginning energy, this Kester, crown energy, is revealed only in the end. The end means all the way at the bottom, within a physical world during the time of the resurrection. So the Garden of Eden is not at the end. <laughs> She's somewhere in the middle. So she doesn't have the ability to absorb the energy of the beginning, which is expressed in the Kester, in the crown. So the lesser radiance that's muted to match the limitations of the evolving world can be absorbed by the souls in the Garden of Eden in their disembodied state. But the transcendent radiance coming from the crown, coming from Kesser, can only be revealed in the end, which means end, end of time, and end, end of the chain of creation. So the end of the chain is the physical world, and the end of the time is by the resurrection of the dead. So by the resurrection of the dead in this physical world, souls in physical bodies can get the energy of the beginning. The ends and the beginnings are wedged together. And specifically, going back to our point, what is the forte of being a soul in a physical body, in a physical world? The commandments. This is where we can do commandments. Souls above can still learn. You don't need a body to learn. You don't need a physical world to learn. But to do a commandment, you need a physical body in a physical world. And these physical commandments in this physical world was actually the primordial thought of God, meaning it was the ultimate point of creation. The ultimate purpose of creation was the ultimate reason for creation. So when physical souls, sorry, when physical bodies are now containing these souls in a physical world, and these bodies are able to do commandments, this is a point and purpose. This supersedes any pleasure God could have from the Garden of Eden. So that's why in the future, by the resurrection of the dead, the righteous, which means every single one of us, will be called holy, meaning it will be revealed to them the divine radiance that is holy. Holy meaning, we said, separate. 
holy meaning it transcends comprehension. And we are going to be so unified with that revelation of God that just as that energy is holy, the Jew having that energy is also holy. But, the Rebbe says, to attain that level of being able to absorb this soyvev, encompassing energy, this holy energy, you need first to go through the Garden of Eden to apprehend God's attribute of Chachmah, the source of wisdom, because that gives us the ability to absorb the much higher transcendent energies of the caster of the crown that we will have by the resurrection. Now this, just to conclude this final point here, this is why, remember, we had two questions on that verse. Your commandment is very wide. First we said, why is a commandment in the singular? And now we understand it's charity, charity in the concept of kindness, and also charity as dividing all the commandments. Because every commandment is, in essence, a manifestation of charity. Even if commandment here means keeping kosher or keeping the Shabbos, it's part of this comprehensive charity. But why are we saying it's wide? So now we understand the wideness is that the commandment of charity is a vessel wide enough to contain the revelation of God's infinite light at the time of the resurrection. That's the wideness of the commandment of charity, of God's commandment. Because again, we said God is really doing a very wide, broad charity, giving us something that we in no way could deserve. We can't create an act that will cause us to be deserving of the infinite light of God himself. So it's an ultimate charity. But our acts of charities are vessels to enable us to receive 